You're listening to Tiger's Eye, Episode 9. We travel for many todays, moving north. It is a straighter path now. The zigzagging plan I had developed to avoid encountering our pursuer failed spectacularly. So to prevent us losing our way, we simply follow the great Serpent River, ever watchful of our tales. Over the nights, I continue to instruct Miguel on Tayar. His musculature and instinctual memory are what needs the most attention, so we focus on repetition of scenarios and improvising our way out of them. He must evade and evade again, striking only at the right moment when his attacker is distracted or off-balance. He asks me for yet more leather and my sewing kit once again, so I oblige him and watch with interest while he clumsily works the needle through the toughened hide to create foot wraps for himself. This makes perfect sense, as his lower paws are vulnerable and sensitive, and he is walking alongside me more each day. As with his additional work on the bracer, I resist the urge to take the foot wraps away and retailer them. Better that he learns their weaknesses and corrects them himself. I am, after all, not going to be around him much longer. He finds a stick of hard wood and sharpens the end of it, using it to walk with, in the manner of the elderly. In the absence of a tail, this clearly helps him keep his balance better. One evening, at a crossing, a couple of panther traders appear far off down the pathway, bearing packs of their assembled wares. Miguel spots them, and abiding by my instructions, scurries off and into the nearest bushes. I stand and cordially await the approach of the traders, They eye me nervously, but I keep my spear stowed and hold out my paws, pads up to wave them in, fixing my expression to one of friendly greeting. It has been a very long time since I spoke with panthers, and my understanding of their dialect is frankly appalling. We share many common words among our tribes, so I try to focus on employing those. However, conversing with them with this limited understanding is challenging, to say the very least. Clearly, they do not venture into tiger territory often, as their grasp of my language is just as mangled. Where you saunter? We have much awesome. I do my level best to shape the words I know into phrases that will maintain my air of friendly innocuousness. Hopefully, they will be on their way before Miguel makes his presence known. The spirits can only tell what I ended up sounding like. I walked here from... Will they even understand names from places they have not visited? I should steer clear of using those. My name is Glam, and this male here is called Marl. Your body is Beatings? 
Yes. That's not Wilbur. Hurt. You have Doctor Food. Doctor Food? Oh, I It must medical supplies. Do for something else for real with that positive. Look, I made meat for you, suitable for swapping. Um, Chief Toucan. Congratulations. Legitimate order of business. Most of what they have on offer lacks the immediate practical application to our journey, but I trade some meat for a little medicine to counter pain. I can see the moment when they sent Miguel. I picture them moving on after we have parted, spreading word of what they have borne witness to. Shame and fear, like two sharp-toothed scavengers hanging onto my forepaws, pull me down. It was an ape! They will say. A gangly, hairless, tiny ape! It could take your legs off in a single bite! And most certainly, it could breathe fire! And she was in its thrall. We could see the lack of will in her eyes. She wanders by its side. A zombie slave to its unholy purpose. How would those who heard that react? This, this demon, demon must be cleansed. Fetch the shaman. Hunt them down. Scout the riverbank. Bring your finest head implements. I am exaggerating for comic effect, of course, but their response surely cannot be far from this at least thematically. They are smelling him right now. I have to throw them off the scent, literally. The traders sniff up and down, and I nod and point at myself. That is stink me. I have fight an overabundance of pungent baboons. See how they gnash my back arm. I proffer my tail, which is healing, but still bound. It is a somewhat childish gambit, but I put extra emphasis on my injury, letting the tip droop as I stroke it. Poor wretch that stays up all night, dancing with the father of passing. That is why I devoured all my doctor food. I am not a good liar. This is why I told the truth. They seem to understand enough of the words and gestures to be satisfied, though I do spot the female peering behind me. I have to distract them further. Do you have good stink? Cover baboons. Uh... I lift an arm and sniff at the pit, then wrinkle my nose. Baboon. Then I mime slapping something on it. Oh! The female roots in a side bag and produces a small flask. She pops the cap and holds it out for me to sniff. It is nectar. I think from a Dalish flower, which I have only smelled once before, but remember vividly. It smells sweet and inviting, but not sickly. I accept a drop on my pad and then rub it into my neck. This could, in fact, mask Miguel's own peculiar scent. But I have very little meat left and nothing else on me of particular value. I indicate this with body language, and the female points at my armlet the symbol of my tribe. My mother made this for me. A tightness forms in my belly, and I offer my knife instead. She shakes her head and starts to put the flask away. I hold up my paw and ask her to wait. Then, sighing, I remove my armlet and hold it up. 
give leather too, please. If I'm going to let it go, I want as many chances as I can to be able to complete this journey. Mmm, no leather. Try Yamaya Village. Northeast, off river path. Okay. No leather. Then more doctor food. She nods and adds several vials, wraps, and a fresh sewing kit to her side of the trade. I watch myself hand over the beaded circlet and tell myself it is only a trinket and that the love it was given to me with cannot be taken away. The tightness intensifies. I push it down deep along with everything else and set my nerves to stone once again. I must be away from here, but I need to be sure I am still heading in the right direction towards something beyond rumor and supposition. Before you escape, is drink dropping from the sky back up ahead? Does it rain? Sporadically? No, uh... I point at the river and give them the water sign, waving my paw up and down. Then I point back the way they came and flutter my pads down like a curtain while making a rushing sound. Then indicate large with my paws. A look of recognition forms in their eyes. They nod at me and mimic the sign back. I point upriver again and try the question sign. They nod their heads and point to themselves. Our tribe is, uh, they're close. In the land beyond. How large? I'm trying to say how far and gesture by extending one paw away from the other up the path. The male exchanges some impenetrable words with the female, then holds up two pads. I do likewise and give him the sleep sign I crafted for Miguel. I hope this will encapsulate two sleeps. Two todays. They both nod. You saunter with us? We, um... Remember there tomorrow. After more trade. I consider this. I think they mean I should go with them. But, if we travel back the way I came first, and go visit every nearby village so that these two can trade their wares, that's far too much attention to my hidden companion. It would be good to have some guides in this unfamiliar country, but I would also be walking back towards Hakka, and in doing so would be endangering them. I shake my head, lay a paw on my chest, sign for walking, then give the thank you sign and a little bow in case that is not clear enough. I say my own words as I do this. Hopefully the message will be clear to them. No. I will continue to walk there alone, but thank you. In response, they make the thank you sign and bow back. They are copycatting me. Thank you, Trade. Thank you, Trade. Saunter best. Saunter best, Clem and Mar. I watch them go until they are almost out of sight. Before this happens, the female makes a theatrical attempt at stretching and scratching, and in doing so glances back at me. I mime the application of medicine to my bitten tail, and again make the thank you gesture. She swiftly turns back to her companion, and they disappear from view. Then Miguel emerges, grumbling from the bush, 
picking thorns out of his skin with admirable dexterity. I rub a little of the newly replenished salve on his nastier scratches. We need an alternative, especially for if we are caught off guard. I begin construction plans for something I hope will help us both. As I do this, I look down at my armor and the now gaping holes in the sides and leg coverings, as well as the tentative fastenings at the shoulder where that monkey was cutting. We have two days travel. Haka is still on our tail. I need to repair this in case the worst occurs. We sit in a tall tree, watching a village go about its night. They are panthers. But clearly, this is not the village beyond the waterfall which the traders came from. At present, I have seen the elderly and the young. I can smell leather tanning, which is the scent that brought me here off the river path. I need to see what they are missing that I can supply them with in exchange. During our waiting and observation, the duration of which I continue with the construction of this useful item, I expect as the time draws by for the hunters to return. I anticipate seeing a warrior or two, at least. This does not happen. Their fires are few, and the food appears sparse. They eat fruit and birds, all of which can be obtained from the trees at the outskirts of their houses. The cubs play about, but several of the bigger ones are helping the elders. Not one single panther leaves the village all evening. I complete my work and show it to Miguel. It is a large woven haversack. I point to him. I point to the sack. I point to the village. I put a paw over my eyes. And finally, I point to him again. He nods. First, though, I take him hunting in the jungle to the south. I spot a mamba sliding through the undergrowth towards a snake rat and pause to point it out to the cub. We watch in quiet fascination as the green serpent casually slinks up until it is beside the rodent. There is a moment of almost casual acknowledgement between them as the rodent checks its surroundings. With blinding speed, the mamba makes its killing strike. The snake rat springs aside and dances away, circling its enemy. Twice and three times, the snake lunges in as they flow gracefully around their arena, matching one another's movements. On the third, as it is pulling away, the rat makes its move, barreling through the air over the strike and, in landing, sinking its fangs into the neck of the serpent. The rat shakes and pounds its opponent upon the ground until it is quite dead. It is then that I make my move, rushing in and roaring to shoo the beast away. Amazingly, the snake rat screams back at me in its awful raucous cry, rearing up and actually challenging an attacker so many times its size. It charges in towards me, open-mouthed and squealing up at my face. I lunge past him, snatch up the carcass of the mamba in one paw and dive up and away into the understory. From my shoulder, Miguel is trembling with excitement and making that laughter sound again. Safely in the trees, I grasp the mamba's neck and retrieve another medicine vial. I milk the snake of every drop of its lethal venom and then cut off its head with my knife. No sense in letting the meat go to waste. Thank you, mamba. You will make this cub more cunning. Rest now. 
go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. I turn and present Miguel with this new vial, carving a wavy line with my claw on the outside. I tie a small green shoot around the flask just to make it stand out, and then hold up one pad, point to this new poison, tap my knife blade, then imitate the sign Miguel came up with yesterday to indicate dead. Very dead. He nods slowly, in complete understanding, and conceals this in his bracer alongside the sleeping poison. We find an ibex, and I take Miguel off my shoulders, set him down on the jungle floor, and point at the grazing beast, then to my neck, then to Miguel's claws. He makes a familiar wavy line in the air and signs for question. I shake my head and mime sleep. He obligingly takes out the appropriate venom and applies a few drops to his claw. His actions are rushed and he is trembling all over. I lay a paw upon his shoulder and then mimicking a sign of his from the hollow tree, I hold a pad to my lips and whistle behind it. He nods and slowly turns to creep in. I watch him slink up to the ibex. I can make out his struggling attempts at nonchalance, his quivering low posture. He is almost at the capra now. It turns to regard him. Briefly, I fear its eyes will be gold, but they are not. The ibex starts to move away and Miguel strikes, jabbing at its flank. It spins and aims a vicious headbutt at the cub. He springs away nimbly, but now the ibex feels the wound. It bears down on Miguel, and I start to move in. Miguel dodges at the last second as it runs past him and makes a further strike to its opposite flank. His arm is flung around by the weight and momentum of the beast, which crashes to the ground. The cub is hurt. The ibex is struggling to rise again. I do cutting its throat swiftly and ending any further suffering or injury. I inspect Miguel's arm and it is thankfully not badly pulled or dislocated, but his confidence is shot. Why did I not leave him to finish it? Everything within that exercise was supposed to be about his survival in my absence. His trembling continues uncontrollably and he hides his face from me. Water streams from his eyes. I do not understand what is happening. Is this natural for his kind? I absentmindedly rub at what is now a bare patch on my arm where my armlet used to be. I prod at him and then stand, pulling him up with me to set him on his lower paws. We have more to do and no time to feel sorry for ourselves. Thank you, Ibex. You... Obstinate little bastard, you fought too hard. Rest now. Go with the father of passing and return to this world in whatever form is next. As I pace off, waving roughly at Miguel to follow me, regret stabbing at my heart. I scratch two more notches in my bracer.
You have been listening to Tiger's Eye. Written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw with a full cast. Presenter Lauren Grieve. Rao, performed by Maureen Foley. Glam, performed by Loretta Saylor. Mar, performed by Matthew Wardle. And Miguel, performed by Alex Shaw. The main theme is Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music, courtesy of Shockwave Sounds. You also heard Gagool, Past the Edge, and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Our special sponsors this month were Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio de la Cruz, Scott Corzine, David Garcia Abril, Erish Travers, and Megan and Ian Hopwood. And to everyone else who has been supporting us on the Patreon, a big thank you. Come to the Digital Drift forums to discuss these shows with the fanbase, or you can post messages directly on the Patreon feed. If you aren't able to support New Century with your dollars, then there are, of course, other ways you can help it grow, and those are four- or five-star iTunes reviews. And if you can make the time to say a few kind words in a review, that all helps the show gain visibility and gets it in the ears of new listeners. 